project. And you're listening to our acoustic version of the Star Spangled Banner here on KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes in bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rockets ran
KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome to God's Pure Word of Faith. I'm Richard Harden, and again, I want to thank the Lord and the management of KLRN Radio for this great opportunity to share God's Word with you today. Welcome back. Now, I have a great message for you here today. God loved Esau. Now, this is a totally opposite what's being taught in our society and what's being taught for the last, you know, several centuries. I want to share you a little bit about how I got started into this message. Uh, I've been teaching and preaching in different places for the last 40 years out of the Elroy Federal Prison here in Oklahoma City, the prison uh, in churches. And I was in a church one time, uh, and it seemed like every time that I would start teaching a Bible class or something and stated that God loved everyone, there seemed to someone that would uh, ask or comment and say, what about Esau? God said he loved, I mean, God said he hated Esau. And since I didn't have an answer, it would shed doubt on, you know, everything else I'd said because I wouldn't have an answer for that. 
Finally, one night during a great study that was going on of God's love, one of the ministers of a church I was in had come in to visit the class, and when I made the statement that God loves everyone, she spoke up and asked, what about God saying he hated Esau? And again, the whole class was ruined. And I decided I was going to have to find out about God and Esau. Well, I've, I've shared with you many times before in seeking, you know, get your concordances, you know, list all the words in the Bible that the study, you know, the subjects and everything and different versions. And that's what I did. I, I started getting all this information. Now, I read about the story of Jacob and Esau, but it was so short. Uh, it didn't seem at first to, you know, uh, tell me much about Esau. So I looked up everything in the concordance about the name Esau or Edom. Now, a lot of times in the scriptures, when uh, someone came to the Lord or they t turned to him and they started serving him, he would change their name. Like uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. Jesus, you know, spoke to him, struck him down, everything, and changed his name to Paul. He became the Apostle Paul that, that wrote most of the New Testament. Well, God changed uh, Abr Abram's name to Abraham, and uh, he, he changed a lot of people's names. He changed Jacob's name, which I'm going to be discussing in the morning, to Israel, and he changed Esau's name to Adam. Well, so I looked up everything about Esau and Adam I could find. And I found a very strange, surprising result, which I'm going to share with you in this message this morning. A message was revealed to me that had been, you might say, hidden or closed up, undiscovered or overlooked or whatever you want to say, but for the last couple thousand years. Now, you mark this date on your calendar, and if you go to Christian bookstores anywhere, you will not find any information on this about God and his love for Esau. Everything will be about God hating Esau and everything. Now, before I share this message, I want to explain why God loving Esau or not is of any should be of any importance to you. You may already started kind of asking, who cares if God hated someone over 4,000 years ago or not? My concern is to get a little more of his love today. You know, you, you're concerned about God's love today and everything, not what happened 4,000 4, years ago to someone. The results or effects of this controversy in our society, uh, it's not a real big controversy. It seems to have been settled years ago, and everybody just kind of lives with it. But it is a controversy about God loving Esau or not is being reflected even worse in D.C. today by the hate for Christianity and the removal of symbols of, you know, the Bible God. I'm going to say the Bible God because that's what uh, we're worshiping as Christians, the God of the Bible. They want to remove everything out of sight, call Christians right-wing fanatics and believe in, that believe in being born again, obeying the moral principles of the scriptures, calling everyone else, you know, they say we're calling everyone else sinners and something like this. Well, they want to get rid of the Christians and move them out. Well, at least we love everyone else and don't try to kill everyone that disagrees with us. But um, here's the situation of Christianity in our country today. We have about 20 million Christians which believe God said he hated Esau, and because of it, God hates people and he loves people, both. 
God predestines people before birth to heaven or hell is what they believe. Uh, and that is fixed throughout eternity. And there's nothing a person can do while they're here on earth to change that predestined condition. These people are called Calvinists from a teacher back in the Middle Ages or a couple of hundred years ago. Okay. They believe that God said he hated Esau and he meant it and that God has people born already predetermined to go to heaven or hell and there's nothing the person can do here on earth to change it. Now, about the other 90% of the Christians believe along with them, yes, God did say he hated Esau, but he didn't really mean it. Like in the examples of, uh, that I'm fixing to show you in the scriptures here, that if it's just a comparison, you know, now, let's take a look at the word hating in these scriptures in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus was saying, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He's saying here that if you love your mother and your father more than Jesus, you're not worthy of him. Also, uh, now see, that shows if you love them more than him. In Luke chapter 14, though, if you look at that uh, verse first, 1426, it says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. See, it doesn't say here uh, if you love them more than him. See, in this particular verse, it just says, you you got to hate them. It says, hate not you. Oh, anyway, so it's easy to clear this up and see that it was just uh, relatively speaking here that, you know, you got to love Jesus more than uh, anyone else. Now, but in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says that uh, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein has thou loved us? Was not... Esau, Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage to waste for the dragons of Israel. Now, uh, it appears here, you know, God said he hated Esau, but stick around, you'll find out. Let's look at this word, uh, hated. Uh, just what does hated mean? There's several words in our society that are kind of odd in their relationship, so let me give you a few of them and then we'll take a look at the word hate. The word cold. Now cold in the atmosphere, cold is not a created substance. Cold is what's left when heat is removed. Darkness is not created. Darkness is what's left when light is removed. Dry is not created. Dry is what's left when moisture is removed. Now silence is not created. That's what's left when noise, or girls, I'll throw in a little joke there. Silence is what's left when noise is removed. Evil's not created now. Here's an answer to another question you may have had in the past about God creating evil. No, evil is not created. Evil is what is left when God is rejected or removed or pulled away from something. See, now, evil is not created. It's what's left Afterwards, and that's what's left in our society now. Is our society pushes God out of schools, out of you know the government, out of any visible um, thing in our you know community and stuff like this, as pushing those symbols of God, the reminders of God, and things like this out. 
evil is what's left in its place. Now, hate is what's left when God, who is love, is rejected. So, evil is not created. Evil is what's left when God's rejected. Hate is what's left when God, who is love, see, is rejected. Just like untruth and lies are what's left when God's pure word is rejected, and you add something to it, or you take something away from it, or you know what, you, you assume something God's word is not. See, untruth and lies or what's left when God's word is changed. Now, evil works of hate, lust, lies, envy, immorality, cheating, stealing, killing, and outward physical expressions of an evil heart without God, or of a Christian deceived by the devil living in false beliefs and living as if there's no God in their heart. You see, uh, without the Spirit of Christ in a person's heart, uh, the Spirit of God it's a separation of the heart from God, and these evil works in it take place, or, you know, just a result of it. Immorality, cheating, stealing, killing again. And uh, a person can live a good life like that. There are good people uh, morally you know, like this that uh, don't have Christ in their heart. But, see, without the foundation in a person's heart, it, it said that we're born in total sin. Without Christ in a person's heart, without the Spirit of God in there, they're missing, and they're separated their heart from God. And that's what total sin means. Um, what that means is that we're all born with a heart void of God or His Spirit in our heart so that we are said to be in total sin with a heart totally separated from God. Everyone but Jesus that was, because Jesus had the Spirit in Him at all times. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Taking a look at what the word hate is, hate is, a, um, is the absence of God, absence of love is, is hate. Now, in uh, looking here at the scripture, many people in our society, you know, uh, they'll say, I don't want to talk about politics or religion. And it's easy to see from the corruption in Washington, D.C., the unbelievable congressional retirements and medical programs, unpunished criminal activity in Congress and everything, and other special benefits that more people through the years should have been talking politics and watching the politicians and not letting them work so many crooked deals behind the scenes and everything. Likewise, a number of Christian denominations, you know, pastoral pornography, you know, and all these things about, you know, uh, young people and being, you know, sexually mistreated and everything in churches and, um, well, just a scandal with the priest in the last, you know, 15, 20 years and everything coming out into the open. Large churches all over Europe and other places like they're just becoming empty and being turned into other, um, turned over to other type uses and everything. Now, by refusing to discuss religious beliefs, most people have failed to identify in their own hearts and minds personal questions or challenges to some of the basic beliefs established years ago in the different denominations. They've assumed that paid clergy as their spiritual leaders have cleared up all these doubts or questions about spiritual beliefs that normally would be of any importance or concern. So, you know, we say, well, they've got it all straightened out. They went to seminary and everything. But uh, in Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, says, and verses 11 to 13, Apostle Paul says, There is one body, 
one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope you're calling. See, one body now. Uh, not a bunch of different denominations and everything, but one body of Christ. One spirit. One Lord. One faith. We're not supposed to have all these different, you know, three or four hundred different supposedly faiths and everything. When, when we hear from God, faith comes by hearing, hearing more to God. When we hear from Him, He's not going to tell us all these different things. That's confusion. One God... Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And in verse 11 through 13, now, what are priests? Uh, it says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that is, building up the body of Christ. Now, listen to verse 13 Till we all come into unity of the faith. And that's not happening in our society. Uh, there's more splits in our church. Our church leaders have failed us on this fulfilling responsibility of the charge to them in these scriptures. Everyone teaching and preaching of Jesus is charged here to try to be bringing the body of Christ into one unified spiritual body. Now, in fact, we even see more separation in the last few years and everything. And even recently, one of the large denominational churches, uh, Presbyterian Church USA, rejected that Christ is the only way. They took the song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, All Other Ground is Sinking Sand. They removed that from the songbook along with some other songs. You know, and there's splits now over homosexuality and their beliefs and abortion, women ministers, uh, prosperity beliefs, baptisms, predestination, gifts of the spirits. I hope I'm clear up some of these this morning, especially about predestination there if you stick around with me. Now, one of the big differences of beliefs in Christianity, you know, that I'm going to be discussing today, is that Calvinists, the group that believed that God in Malachi chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, said that God hated Esau and he loved the younger twin brother. The Calvinists believe that the Apostle Paul's in uh, election teaching in Romans chapter 9, which refers to Malachi's statements about Esau, is referring to salvation so that the people are predestined prior to birth by God's election to heaven or hell. Calvinists teach that we're all, we all live in an unchangeable predestined status throughout our lives here on earth. That is, if we're selected or elected prior to birth by God to go to heaven, then God loves us and we'll go to heaven somehow regardless of what happens here on earth. Likewise, Calvinists teach that if God um, predestined people through election to go to hell, then God hates us, you know, because he's pulled away. That's what I said a while ago. He's pulled away from those people that he's predestined to go to hell, and he hates them. And that those people, that if we're one of them, you know, like that, we're going to go to hell regardless of what happens here on earth. We can't change it in any way. Calvinists also teach that Jesus didn't die for everyone's sins on the cross. He only died for the sins of those who God his Father loved and predestined through election to go to heaven. Now, Armenians, which is the other group, non-Calvinists, you know, they, either the Calvinists believe in predestination to heaven or hell. Armenian, then, is the other belief that um, they also believe, though, that God said in Malachi chapter 1 that he hated Esau. But, like those scriptures I showed you in, in Matthew and Luke, they say he only meant he preferred Jacob over Esau. He said he hated Esau, but he didn't really mean he hated. He just preferred Jacob over Esau. And the Armenians, the rest of them then, um, teach that we become God's elect 
by Apostle Paul's teaching in Romans uh, chapter 9 and 10, we assume total responsibility for our free will choice and personally choose to call upon the Lord, invite and receive God's Spirit into our hearts uh, for salvation. And that we have to make that choice, free will. We choose to reject God's love, then he brings us to a, when he brings us to a knowledge of the gospel, then we'll perish, as stated in Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 10, 11, where it says, uh, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So you hear the gospel, but you reject it, and you don't accept it for some reason. You know, like uh, when, when God brings us to that knowledge and everything, that Jesus is the only way for our answer for our sin debt, and we must personally humble ourselves and uh, to him, you know, through his word and by repenting of our sin and wanting to turn from our sin and ask him to forgive us, then we must each make a free will choice to accept his word, his living word, his salvation into our heart to faith. Christ is his living word, so we must accept his living word that we're a sinner, that Jesus is the answer, and that uh, we must receive him into our heart. In fact, in um, Hebrews 4.2, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, so, so God's going to bring all of us to a knowledge of, of him and his word and salvation, his love. Now, those that reject his love, reject his word then, by their free will, say, well, I want a way to get out of college. I want a way to like, get, you know, uh, uh, married. I want to, you know, way to like get out of this crooked deal or get my life straightened out. See, all these reasons the devil will cause people to think of to reject God's love and his call to salvation. Well, the problem with that is that we don't know that we have tomorrow to do it if we don't do it today. And if the devil ever once gets people putting off salvation, once they know that great love that God's brought to them and exposed them to it, you know, and opened their eyes to, and they reject that great love one time, it's going to be so much more difficult next time and the next time and the next time to say, okay, I'm ready now. You know, the, the devil will always have people thinking that um, I'll wait a little longer. i got plenty of time. And uh, that's not true. Now, Calvinists and Armenians, you know, all, Calvinists believe that the election to heaven or hell before we're born, Armenians believe that it's our free will choice. And both are mistaken by their belief that God said he hated Esau in Malachi chapter 1. That's what I'm going to show you. Both of them are wrong there. And the importance of that is that the people that believe in free will choice, since that statement, since God did not say he hated Esau, now they can show in black and white to the Calvinists and say, hey, look at this. Your theory, your philosophy is a little bit wrong here and everything, you know. Uh, but right now they can't because uh, they believe that it says God hated Esau also. So they, they don't have really an argument. They can just say, well, he didn't really mean it. But the Calvinists say then, he said he hated Esau and he did mean it. You know, and so that's, and they just settled it and, and kind of gone their separate ways. Now, Calvinists and many other Christians are incorrect to believe that the Apostle Paul was speaking of election now. In Romans chapter 9, he was teaching God's election to service. Now, I'm not just, I'm saying that now, but I'm going to back it up in a few minutes when I get there and show you the scriptures. 
election to service, like 2 Timothy 1 9, one of the key scriptures there. God has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So I'm going to show you that God did not say he hated Esau, and that election is to service, not salvation. God doesn't elect people to salvation, but he elects all of us to a special service. So, first, I'm going to show you the scriptures reveal that from Esau's personal life that God could not have hated Esau. Then I'm going to show you proof that shows that Malachi chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 does not say that God hated Esau. And then I'm going to show you that the Apostle Paul's teaching about election is to service in the New Testament based on the statement in Malachi, not to salvation. Now, because it's his will that all of us be saved. That's what we're created for. It says, let's see, what is it? Isaiah 43, 17, or 23. Isaiah 43, 17, 23. It says, uh, as people I form myself, they shall show forth my praise. See, all the way through the scriptures, everywhere you find a place where he says he created people, he created people, you know, kind of for his pleasure that we'll, you know, worship and praise him because we love him, though, because we choose to. Not because he makes us see. No person has been born on earth predestined to go to hell. Um, it's like Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.10. says they reject the love of the truth. And in Romans chapter 1, it says we're all without excuse because God has revealed himself to us. And um, what is Second Timothy 2.11 says that God is uh, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. See, so God has brought himself and... Um, well, revealed himself to everyone. So everybody you meet on the street today, everybody in Washington, D.C., God has revealed himself to them personally, and they have personally rejected for some reason or another that I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be one of these right-wing fanatics. I don't want to be one of these, you know, born-again Christian, you know, believers like that. In fact, you know, just uh, I even saw in the paper, heard on news yesterday, something like that, saying that some... Um, supposedly wheel in Washington said that Christians shouldn't be allowed in the government. You know, they're inviting everybody else into the government, though, on God and everything. But anyway, that's not what I'm here to try to straighten them out. I'm trying to, you know, help clear up these errors being taught about God and his image. In fact, it's blasphemy, too, to say that God would create somebody, and I'll show you that later, that create somebody here and have them be born to die and go to hell. That's speaking against God. That's what blasphemy is, speaking against God and his love, God and his character, his image. God is total love. You know, so uh, it needs to be cleared up and not just shoved under the rug. So now I'm going to take a short break here, and I'll be right back in just a minute. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. 
visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Come back. I'll be here with you now again for the next hour and a half. And I'm going to start out this portion of the broadcast with showing you how God blessed Esau all of his life. You know, just been through why it's so important that we know about this and everything. But just who was Esau? Well, when God called Abram out of Syria to come over and to set up a, a group of people, you know, his chosen people, uh, he called Abram out and he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, this is one of the reasons the story is kind of confusing because several people in this particular story, their names have been changed. And these names are used interchangeably back and forth, and it's kind of confusing sometimes. I've drawn out a diagram. Being an engineer, I like to see diagrams and everything. I've drawn out a diagram to be able to show how these are related, but I can't show them to you here on the radio, but I'm going to try to describe it to you. Okay, Abraham. Abraham Wade and Sarah, his wife, waited years and years. Now, if he's going to have a great nation, he needs to have a son. Well, at first... It went years and went years, and they didn't have any children. So Sarah talked Abraham then into uh, having sex with their maidservant, Hagar. Back in those days, sometimes, you know, the the wife then would have a maid, and they would consider the maid's child their own. So Sarah figured this is the way God was going to do it, so she talked Abraham, and then he did. And so Abraham's firstborn son was Ishmael, from um, the maidservant. But that wasn't in God's line. God's line that he wanted was between Abraham and Sarah. So later on then, several years later, God did give them a second son, Isaac. This son then was Sarah and Abraham's son. And this was a son of promise. And even though Ishmael was the older son, uh, he got kind of pushed out because he wasn't in the lineage that God wanted for his people. Now, Isaac married a Rebecca, a lady named Rebecca, from back to his homeland. Isaac then and Rebecca had uh, twin sons, Jacob and Esau. 
Esau was the oldest, and when it came out of the womb, it says that Jacob was holding on to his foot, you know, and they come out. Now, in this story, Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel, or either one. If you say Jacob, means Israel. If you say Israel, means Jacob, you know, in the story. Esau's name in the story is changed to Edom. So anytime you hear the word Edom, it could be, you know, they're just talking about the man Esau, or so uh, talking about Esau, it could be just as easily Adam, back and forth. So what happened was that, um, oh, let me start here, and I'll, I'll try to give you some of the story now to, to keep these names straight while we go along. God told Isaac's wife, Rebecca, before they, the boys, two twin boys were born, that uh, in Genesis 25:23, the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Two nations. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. Two manner of people. Now, different type characters and everything. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elders shall serve the younger. Now, see, that's kind of like right backwards. Normally, the elder son there's, there was in those days an elder son blessing from the father and the elder son received more inheritance and things like this but here God is speaking to her telling her the elder shall serve the younger now God's statement if you notice here does not say anything about love or hate for either boy but speaks only of service he says two manner of people one people shall be stronger than the other the elder shall serve the younger it doesn't say anything in there about salvation or about their spiritual relationship with God. It's talking about their um, activity here on earth. Now they describe in Genesis 25, 27, it says Esau, the elder, was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in the tents. Now Isaac, the father, you know, he liked Esau. He liked his manly boy, you know, goes out hunting and everything like this and a man of the field. But Rebecca preferred Jacob. So see, there's a split in the family already there uh, because it said in uh, Genesis 25 when God spoke to him, he said there's going to be two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. So here's the big, mean, mad, you know, big guy hunter, which was Esau, and then Jacob who liked hanging around the house and you know just doing things like that. Well, two different types of people. One day Esau came home from hunting, and he was very tired and hungry, and uh, he traded his elder son blessing to Jacob, his younger brother, for just some bread and soup. Now, for some reason at that time, Esau's name then was changed to Adam. That's when he got his name changed. Um, so far, Jacob hadn't had his name changed yet, but it'll come later. Genesis chapter 25, verses 30, 34 says, And Esau said to Jacob, Free me, Feed me, I pay, pray thee, with that same red pottage that, you know, he, Jacob was sitting there eating in front of him, and Esau was a hunger and everything. He said, Feed me with some of it. Um, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am but the point of dying. What profit shall this birthright be to me? And Jacob said swear to me this day and he swore unto him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob 
you know, that's just between two boys out there. You know, people talk about him. And, and scriptures mention, you know, that he sold his birthright and everything. But yet, the, the father, Isaac, didn't have anything to do with this. Isaac was the one that passed on the birthright and did this. Um, and it was God's choice for, you know, the birthright to pass down like that. But anyway, um, then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Or, you know, he didn't care anything, you know, like that. It just might have been he didn't care because, you know, he knew his dad, you know, liked him. And he knew that his dad was the one that gave it. And uh, it wasn't going to change anything possibly. But anyway, and besides that, the elder blessing was set up by God and was God's blessing that would could not be bought or sold. But anyway. Okay, Jacob and Esau's dad, Isaac, was not aware of this deal between the boys. But even if it had been, he probably would not have gone along with it since he liked Esau the best anyway. Now, when Isaac thought he was about to die, he sent Esau hunting to get some fresh meat for him to give his, you know, Esau the elder son blessing. Jacob heard about this. Now, while Esau was out hunting, Jacob tricked his father, Isaac, into giving him Esau's blessing. Now, if you read the story, all the trickery that Jacob went through and everything like this, along with his mother, Rebecca, that helped him and everything, it's a good story, too, but it's not that important right now. Just the fact that Jacob tricked his father, Isaac, into giving him that blessing is what we need to see today. When Esau returned from hunting and found that Jacob had received his blessing and tricked his father, he was very mad and threatened, you know, to kill his brother Jacob. So Rebekah, the mother, heard Esau's threats and told Jacob to flee back to Syria, you know, to their homeland, to her brother Laban, and take a wife from her homeland. So he did. Uh, even Isaac agreed with that to dad when he, you know, heard that Rebekah had told her uh, son Jacob to leave. But he agreed and sent Jacob then uh, to get a wife from Abraham's homeland back in Padanaram, where Rebekah's brother Laban lived in Genesis 28.5. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padanaram, and to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, and Jacob and Esau's mother. Jacob and Esau's mother, you know, Rebekah. Now, Jacob obeyed and left immediately to get away from his irate brother, because, you know, Esau was mad, and he, he, he got mad even, that they sent Esau, that they sent Jacob away to get him, you know, uh, safe. Esau got mad even at that, and he turned in and went to Ishmael, Abraham's elder son, you know, which was their dad's half brother, you know, because um, Ishmael was Abraham's first son. Isaac, their dad, was his second son, but the first one was Sarah, in the lineage that God chose. Okay. He did this because he knew it would irritate his mom and dad if he went over to Ishmael and, you know, got mixed with their family. Now, listen to Genesis 28, 8 and 9. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac, his father, see, his father didn't like him. Then went Esau unto Ishmael, took unto the wives which he had, Mahalathah, something like that, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister need both to be his wife. Now, so he went over there to irritate his mom and dad uh, to Ishmael's family 
and married over there. Where uh, here Jacob then went back to their homeland Syria to marry in um, Rebekah's line and Sarah and Abraham's line. Okay, Jacob and Esau then. Jacob fled to his uncle and um, Laban, who was the, Laban, the brother of Rebekah, his mother. Esau then went to Isaac's brother Ishmael. Now they lived apart for 20 years. Remember this now. You know, I guess if I was one of these big preachers in church and everything like that, I'd say, turn to your neighbor and say, 20 years. Say, 20 years. Jacob and Esau lived apart in different countries for 20 years. Jacob worked 14 of these years for two wives and six years for cattle and, you know, other wealth from, you know, the people there, his uh, Laban and his other relatives there. And then God called Jacob to return to his father Isaac's homeland. After that 20 years, he called Jacob back. Now, Genesis 31.3 says, And the Lord said to Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And he says, I will be with thee. And Jacob, I'm sure, heard that. <laughs> but then just immediately then, as soon as he heard that he was going to go back home to the land of his fathers, Jacob was still afraid of his brother, Esau. So Jacob sent gifts by messengers to Esau in the land of Seir. Now, this is another one of these statements where you need to remember this. He sent the gifts to the land of Seir. So evidently that's where Jacob, I mean, that's where Esau was living. It says that he sent gifts to the land of Seir, the country of Edom, which is Esau's new name, Genesis 32.3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom, or the country of Esau. See, Esau or Edom, either one. So that's where his uh, brother's living. Now he sent these gifts to try to make peace with Esau, but see, God had already told him he was going to be with him, so he didn't need to have that fear, but he did. The messengers returned and told Jacob that Esau and 400 men were coming to meet him. And that really upset Jacob, <laughs> because here he was afraid of him still. Genesis 32, 6, the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We come to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee. And four hundred men with him. And Jacob cried out to God, Save me, you know, from Esau. In Genesis 32, 11, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Now, see, that, that's not much faith in what God told him. God told him already, he said, you come back to your homeland, I'll be with you. Now, see, faith, walking by faith, uh, when God says he'll be with us, you know, we've got to accept and obey his word and trust that he'll be with us, and that's, you know, walking by faith. Um, here, Jacob was given a new name at that time, Israel. And that's when he got his new name. So now we have Esau and Adam same person, same man. Jacob and Israel, same person, same man. They just have two names. Now, Genesis 32, 28. And he said, God, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. When Esau met Jacob, instead of trying to harm him, as you know, Esau, uh, Jacob thought he would do, Esau run up to him and hugged him and kissed him 
And in Genesis 33, 4, it says Esau ran to meet him, Jacob, and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him as they wept. Now, it didn't last long here. Um, after a short visit, the two brothers again separated, but this time on friendly terms. And Esau went ahead of Jacob to his homeland, Mount Seir. Now, this is, again, one of those times to where uh, you say, turn to your neighbor and say, he went to his homeland, Mount Seir. Remember that. They were apart 20 years. They meet on friendly terms. And then Esau goes back to his homeland in Mount Seir. Genesis 33:16. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. Jacob continued to Sukkoth, then to Shechem and Canaan. And in Genesis 33:17, uh, the last mention of Esau while he was alive on earth, after Jacob and Esau separated there and he went back to Mount Seir, the, the only mention after that of while he was alive is in um, Genesis 35:29. Uh, many years later, you know, Isaac had thought 20 years before, when he gave that um, elder son blessing, he thought he was dying then. So he lived 20 more years while they were, you know, apart. And now, even years after that, when Isaac uh, did die, it says in Genesis 35, 29, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, or Edom and Israel, Esau and Jacob buried him. See, they came back together again. So uh, they'd got over this problem that they'd had way back there. Now, this is a very short story. Uh, two boys grow up. They have a fuss, and one of them tricks dad out of a blessing, and because of the other one being angry and everything, he runs off to his homeland to, to get a wife back in Syria, and and the the one that was you know angry and everything went over to uh, his father's stepbrother and got married to irritate his father and mother and uh, they stay apart 20 years they come back together meet and they're on friendly terms and and that's the end of it except that well several years later they together again burying their dead and that's it that's the end of the story so uh, how then does this show that God loved Esau it's a very short story does not reveal anything about Esau's relationship with God except those two statements, Genesis 32.3 and 33.16, where I said, you know, 20 years, 20 years. Jacob sent gifts to Esau in Mount Seir at the end of that 20-year period after uh, Jacob had run off. So they had been separated 20 years. He worked what... Uh, 14 years for his two wives and six years for his wealth. Well, during that time then, somehow or another, Esau got into Mount Seir because that's where Jacob sent the gifts to. Then after the brothers separated and met again, Esau went back to Seir. Now, these two references will prove that God loved Esau. See, it doesn't say it in the story or anything like that. But now, look a little deeper and how did Esau come to have a homeland in Mount Seir? God blessed Esau with Mount Seir. 
God speaks clearly in Joshua 24, 4, that he gave Mount Seir to Esau. Here's a verse. God speaking. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and I gave Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. See, okay, there's one clue right there that God didn't hate Esau. God gave Esau Mount Seir during the 20 years Jacob was working for his wives and cattle. He has already established in Mount Seir his homeland that God had given him and blessed him with. Now, when God told Jacob to go back to his birthplace with Isaac and Rebekah, Esau already lived in Mount Seir, his homeland. Now, when Jacob sent those peace offerings to Esau at the beginning of his trip home, he sent the gifts to Mount Seir. Genesis 32.3 that we read a while ago. During the time Jacob was being blessed with wives and cattle, Esau had been blessed by God with a homeland, Mount Seir. Esau was blessed by God throughout all his life because God selected Jacob to be the bloodline of his chosen nation. Didn't mean that God hated Esau. He just selected Jacob to service as a leader for his bloodline to go through for his people. In fact, God blessed Esau with his homeland, Mount Seir, several hundred years before Jacob's descendants, the children of Israel, received their promised land. Now, how did God give Mount Seir to Esau will show God's love for Esau and not his hate. Deuteronomy chapter 2. We'll skip on two or three, four hundred years, five, six hundred years. Deuteronomy chapter 2 is the key to God's love for Esau or Edom. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 20 and 22 states that also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt therein in old time, and the Amorites, now Lot's descendants, called them Zemzumanum, something like that, a great people, many and tall, and the Anakims, but the Lord destroyed them before them. And they, Lot's descendants, succeeded them and dwelt in their stead. Verse 22. As God did to the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, when he, when God destroyed the Horams from before them, the children of Esau, and they succeeded the giants and dwelt in their stead even unto this day. See, so here it's saying that God fought with them and delivered them from, you know, and destroyed the giants that was in the land of Mount Seir for the children of Esau, succeeded the giants, and dwelt in their stead even till this day. And this day, you know, Moses was talking, was after uh, 400 years of slavery and then maybe a couple hundred years before that, something like that. So it could have been five, six hundred years um, after Jacob and Esau had already died. Anyway, uh, God went with Esau and before him to help Esau kill the giants and capture Mount Seir. So see, God was didn't just say, okay, go over and camp on that Mount Seir. God fought with them. God was with them when they entered that land and helped them clear out that land of the giants and everything. Just like he did Lot's children in other places. You know, Lot's children, uh, two of them, God set them up in homelands. But that's not part of the story today, though. So did God hate Esau? 
It says he gave him that for homeland, and he fought with them and helped them, you know, clear it out. No, God helped Esau capture his homeland during the 20 years. Jacob was working for his wives and children. Now, and since the children of Israel had been in the, the slavery 400 years, it was well over 400 years after this that uh, uh, Moses was talking about there telling the people. God blessed and protected Esau's descendants, the Edomites, for approximately four, five, six hundred years or more after the death of Esau and Jacob. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 4 to 8 now, when Moses was leading the children of Israel from the 400 years of slavery in Egypt to their promised land, God told Moses now, to pass the coast of their brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir. See, God called them the children of Esau's brethren, see, brothers. And meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a foot breath, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau for a possession. So see, here it is, four or five hundred years after Jacob and Esau died, God is still blessing and protecting Esau's descendants. Esau's already died. He, he was in Mount Seir all of his life, living in peace. And there's Jacob out here with his people, roaming around the wilderness and everything. And then they had to go to slavery 400 years and like this. And Esau and his descendants were living over peace, Mount Seir. And God's still blessing his descendants when, he come, when the children of Israel come out of their 400 years of slavery. He was still blessing and protecting Esau's descendants over 500 years or so after Esau's death. How could anyone believe that God hated Esau or his descendants until this time? See, he's blessed them more than he has Jacob and his children. Anyway, the problem now comes, the problem right now comes, you know, the, the, to Abraham, the promise was, I'll bless those that bless you, and I'll curse those that curse you. And that was passed down to Isaac, passed down to Jacob, passed down to the children of Israel. See, that's his, the blessing on his people. Now, the problem between God and Esau's descendants, not Esau now, because Esau's done died, and there wasn't no problem between him and God then. The Edomites started when the Edomites refused to allow Moses safe passage by Mount Seir and forced the Israelites to make a more difficult path on the journey. And some of the Edomites came out and killed some of the children of Israel. God promised Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you, and I'll curse those that curse you. That, when the children of Israel were leaving slavery, going to their promised land, and they passed by Mount Seir, some of Esau's descendants came out. Instead of giving them free, safe passage, some of them killed some of the children of Israel. That brought God's curse on Esau's descendants. That's when it started. Not Esau the man. He had already been dead four or five hundred years before. So God blessed Esau, the man, every day, you know, every day of his life. There was no hate of God toward him. God didn't pull away from him. God helped him and fought with him to establish Mount Seir. In Genesis 12:3, God's promise was to, you know, uh, Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. The descendants of Abraham, I mean, the descendants of Esau brought the curse on himself. Now you'll see in Ezekiel 25. Joel 3, Amos 1, Obadiah 6, 
how Esau's descendants attacked and killed some of the children of Israel and brought God's curse of destruction on them. God stated in Ezekiel 25, 12 to 14, Thus saith the Lord God, because that Edom has dealt against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and has greatly offended and revenged himself of them, therefore thus saith the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand upon Edom and will cut off man and beast from it, and I will make it a desolate, I will make it desolate from Teman, and they of Dedan shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. Now see, he's saying Edom here, but he's talking about the Edomites, Esau's descendants, not Esau. He'd been dead a long time ago. Okay. And they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. In fact, the Edomites were one of the three armies in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Um, the Edomites, Esau's descendants, and the two uh, armies of Lot's descendants, those three armies are the ones that, that were attacking Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles chapter 20 where when Jehoshaphat feared, set himself to seek the Lord, and God said, it's my battle, not yours. I'll take care of this. You go just set yourself and see it. So the reason God was so fed up with them, he had blessed these three countries so many times, the Edomites and the uh, two, I forgot their names now, the Amalekites or something like that. But anyway, the two countries, the descendants of Lot, those three armies now were coming against uh, Jehoshaphat, but... He says, I will lay my vengeance upon Edom, the hand of my people Israel, by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger, according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. God eventually destroyed the Edomites because of their actions, which had nothing to do with the man Esau. The problem was not between God and Esau. God loved Esau. God blessed Esau every day of his life. It was between Esau's descendants, the Edomites, and God, hundreds of years after the man Esau died, God loved and blessed Esau for his whole life. Now, that sheds a complete different story on it. I'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at R-A-H-A-R-D-I-N dot com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. 
click on the brown icon which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back. We just finished looking at the life of Esau and how he was blessed all of his life. And finally, four or five hundred years after Esau and Jacob's death, when the children of Israel came out of uh, the slavery in Egypt and then God told them to pass by Mount Seir where Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, and Esau or Edom, you know, same name. They had lived all those years. God told them when they passed by, I said, don't you bother them. Don't mess with them. They're your brethren. I'm not giving you one foot of their land. Pass by. You pay for anything. If you go and read the story, God told them anything they got to pay for it, to not take anything from them. Not even foot of their land was God going to give them. That's how much God was protecting Esau's descendants four or five hundred years after Esau died. So, what happened then? Well, the Edomites, Esau's descendants, came out against the children of Israel when they were passing by, going to their homeland. Moses was leading them by. This is Deuteronomy chapter 2. The uh, Edomites came out, not all of them, but some of them came out and killed some of the children of Israel. God's promise to Abraham was, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. When they killed some of the children of Israel, the curse of God then came on the Edomites four or five hundred years after Esau or Edom had already died. So the problem was not between the man Esau and God. The problem was with his descendants four or five hundred years later. God had blessed Esau with that Mount Seir and fought with him and helped him establish that land. And it says in Joshua, God said, I gave him that land to possess. It's his land. See? And he fought with him to clear it out of the giants and everything. So God did not hate Esau. God blessed Esau all of his life. God loved him just like he loved everybody else. There's not been a person born on this earth that God does not love. Because Jesus says in Matthew 25:41, says in separating the sheep from the goats, he says, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting eternal fire, created for the devil and his angels. See, Jesus says right there that no person was ever created on this earth or born on this earth that was predestined to die and go to hell and go to the lake of fire. People go there because they reject the love of God's truth, the love of the salvation. When God brings a message to them, they reject the love of it, and they say later or something like this. Anyway, we're all without excuse, Romans chapter 120 says. Anyway, now let's look at what some of the uh, um, prophets said about this. I already read you what was in Ezekiel because I was, you know, uh, come against, you know, the children of Israel. And Joel says in chapter 3, verse 19, Egypt shall be a desolation, Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they shed innocent blood in their land. That's when the children of Israel then tried to come by. They passed by Mount Seir 
Well, Adam now, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, not the man Adam, not the man Esau, either way. Had nothing to do with that. But now in Amos 1.11, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Adam, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. Now, see, this shows right here that uh, Esau evidently did chase after Jacob when Jacob fled and went up back over to his homeland. But you can see from the evidence that he stopped and went back because during that 20 years, Jacob was over there working for, you know, the wives and uh, his wealth. God worked with uh, Esau and helped him, you know, uh, clear out that land from the giants and everything. So he and God got back together. So he, he may have started out chasing his brother, but he didn't go all the way to it naturally because if he had ever caught him then, he'd have probably killed him. But it says here, uh, because he did pursue his brother with a sword. Now, the story of Esau's anger might have been passed down through the years for generations because it says here, his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. See, now, Esau didn't, but the story about it and everything, you know, to his descendants and everything, uh, might have been like the Hatfields and McCoys, you know, something like that. You know, things just passed down through the years, and after several years, uh, the people, you know, just grew to not like each other. Anyway. But anyway, it wasn't the man Esau that God was talking about or the prophet was talking about here. It was his descendants. Obadiah 8 and 18. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men of Edom, Edomites, and understanding out of Esau? The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and a house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. See, he was going to use his children of Israel um, from Jacob to get rid of, you know, the Edomites, the descendants. He said they're going to be a stubble and there's going to be a fire from, you know, uh, Jacob and the Israelites and they shall kindle in them and devour them and there shall not be anything remaining of the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. But see, again, that came about because of Esau's descendants four or five hundred years after Esau was dead. So that had nothing to do with the man Esau. Now, Hebrews 12, 14, though, does warn us about this possibility of, you know, passing down the story of the hate between the brothers. Uh, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man shall fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. See, this root of bitterness, it sounds like over here, it said, the brother pursued with the sword, this is Amos 1 again, and did cast off pity, and his anger did tear perpetually. See, so it, it looks like that story may have been passed down and had a, a root of bitterness in the Edomites that may have caused them then four or five hundred years later to come out against the Israelites and kill some of them. Anyway, that's speculation, so, but that's what it seems to say. There. Now, let's get to Malachi chapter 1, which is exciting here. Malachi chapter 1, where everybody says God said he hated Esau. And we see that God's um, working with Esau shows that God didn't hate Esau. God blessed him every day of his life with a homeland, even before many, many years before 
the children of Israel ever got their homeland four or five hundred years like that? Well, the Edomites had already been living in Mount Seir in their homeland for all those years, living in peace and prosperity and things like this. Now, let's go back to Malachi chapter 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, Wherein has thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage to waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, sounds to me like it says God hated Esau. But, let's look a little closer at that. The punctum punctuation in the scriptures comes from man later. The original scriptures did not have punctuation. They just had words down through there. Without knowing a story of Esau's life, God's blessing to Esau, it'd be easy to misinterpret the above scripture because of confused punctuation, as has been the case for many centuries now. To understand these verses, suppose someone told your friend Let's see, a lie that you said something about them that you didn't say, like uh, maybe somebody you work with told the boss you said something that you didn't say, or, uh, you know, like siblings, you know, like brothers and sisters. Maybe you had a brother or sister told your mom and dad that you said something you didn't say. And then your mom and dad comes to you and say, uh, you know, so-and-so said this about you and like that. What would you do as soon as you got away from your boss or your mom and dad? You would confront the person that told that lie about you. You'd repeat back the lie so he'd know what you're talking about. He had accused you of saying and then ask him why he said it. That was how God was speaking to the children of Israel in the above scripture. God said he loved them first. Then God repeated back to them the lie they had been telling about him. So that should be in quote, because he says, Yet you say, in verse 2. The remainder of verse 2 and all of verse 3 should be in parentheses. Wherein has thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob? Now hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage to waste. Now God did, you know, through the years, people look back, you know, like uh, later, and they'd see that, you know, Mount Seir had been destroyed. But it was because of the descendants of Esau attacking the children of Israel and killing some of them. So that part of this is true, that that did happen. But what God is saying here to them, Wherein has thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. And ladies and See, he's quoting the lie back to them that they've been telling people. They've been telling that God hated Esau and that God, you know, loved Jacob. And that's what it's saying in it. Listen to this again now. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Uh, I have loved you, saith the Lord. See, he starts out saying, I've loved you. Now, yet you say. Now, put in quotes what they say. See, God's quoting back to them the lie that they've been telling about him. Now, it's not a lie. He did destroy their uh, mountains and everything like that. Four five hundred years after Esau's death, but um, yet you say, wherein has thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau? See, he says, this is a lie you're telling about me. I didn't hate Esau is what he's saying. Now, 
And you can see from the life of Esau that God did not hate him. Now, the children of Israel, um, well, God repeats this lie to them, and you'll see that throughout the scriptures, God does this in other cases. The children of Israel doubted God's love to them, and they had been saying that God said he hated Esau and laid Esau's mountains and heritage to waste. So they were just, you know, saying, well, God must hate us too or something, you know. God did destroy Esau's descendants, the Edomites, and their homeland, Seir, their homeland Seir, but not because of Esau, as we, you know, we look through the prophets and everything, what they referenced, and also through Esau's life was blessed every day. Also, God never said he hated Esau in the verses Malachi as a Calvinist and non-Calvinist see. Both have taught through the years. The Calvinists say, well, God said he hated Esau in a minute. The Calvinists say, well, God said he hated Esau, but he didn't mean it. But see, you can see here now, God did not say he hated Esau. Malachi is not saying God said he hated Esau. He's quoting back to the children of Israel the lie they have been saying about him. The prophet Malachi did not say God hated Esau. Now, in Genesis 24, 23, when God spoke to Rebekah about two boys, God only said the elder would serve the younger. God did not say he hated Esau in Genesis, Malachi, or anywhere else. He never said he hated Esau. Okay, now Malachi is not the only prophet God used to carry his message of love to his people who felt discouraged and neglected. God faced a similar situation and spoke to the children of Israel in Isaiah 49, 13 to 16. Uh, most of the people then, in, in this particular case here, talked about in Isaiah, they were in uh, slavery and they had been scattered in exile around the world. And there was a few people still living in Jerusalem, you know, and they call that, you know, the Mount Zion. And they said these are the Zionists, you know, the people living there. Um, at Mount Zion, uh, well, they still the term is still used. To, um, Zionist refers to you know the movement to return back to the Jewish people to their homeland like this. But now listen to this in Isaiah forty nine thirteen to sixteen. God saying, "Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted." That's great. You'd sing and shout and everything. But listen to what Zion says, or the people living in Zion, the, the Israelites that are still there. See, when, when they were left, the walls started falling down, and the city wasn't, you know, kept in repair, and it was, you know, just crumbling and everything. So in verse 14, but Zion said, see, it's like over in Malachi, I loved you, yet you say, here saying, oh, you know, shout and sing, God has comforted his people, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. See, look at this city crumbling, falling down there, saying, He's forsaken us. He's, he's forgotten us. Then God comes back and says, in reply to them, Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion upon the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Be, then behold, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. So he's saying, sing and shout, O heavens and everything, how great, you know, and all this is going on. But then Zion, the Israelites that are living there in Jerusalem, say, 
but the Lord's forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. And then God comes back and says, can a woman forget her sucking child? Yes, they can, but I will never forget thee. Behold, I've graved you on the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God had not forsaken or forgotten Zion. Neither had God hated or even said that he hated Esau. He said, I have loved you, yet you say. And then God was quoting back the lie to them that they had been telling. And if you read the rest of the book of Malachi, he, he makes a lot of changes in there, or not changes, but he, he, he calls them to carpet on a lot of things that need to be changed in the book of Malachi. So God had the same perfect love to Esau as he had to anyone else who had been born on this earth. I mentioned a while ago, Jesus says that, uh, apart from me, ye cursed into the everlasting fire created for the devil and his angels. See, Every, God has loved everybody that has been born on this earth. You say, well, what about the Pharaoh back there? Well, again, go back to the promise to Abraham. I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. After Joseph died, it says, then they, there arose a Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1, and they had forgotten about Joseph and how great Joseph was and how he helped the children, I mean, how he helped the Egyptians and everything through the famine and all this you know, was such a good ruler after Joseph died the people started saying hey they're multiplying down there you know the, the Israelites the Jews down there are getting to be such a big if, if some country come against us if, if they fought with the other country we could be you know wiped out he started being afraid of them uh, for no reason because I'm sure you know that they had no evidence of anything like that might happen but anyway it says a Pharaoh rose who forgot about Joseph or didn't know about Joseph and they got together with the council and everything and put the children of Israel in into slavery, started persecuting them, started killing them. Now what's that promise to Abraham that's passed down? I'll bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. That promise was passed down to Isaac and Rebekah. It was passed down through Isaac and Rebekah to Jacob passed down from Jacob then through the leaders of the children of Israel all through the uh, bondage and slavery and like this so to the children of Israel that was God's promise to them uh, that uh, anybody that cursed them he would curse them so the Pharaoh was under the curse of God Egyptians were under the curse of God because it had not just been the Pharaoh by himself that started that in Exodus chapter 1. It was the Pharaoh and his council and the Egyptians agreed and everything. They started uh, persecuting and killing and putting into slavery, you know, the uh, uh, children of Israel. So God's curse was against the Pharaohs. But yet, if you look at what happened when God sent Moses to draw them out of the land of, of slavery and everything, out of the land of Egypt, God gave the Pharaoh nine opportunities, nine opportunities to turn from that curse and allow his children to go, and everything would have been all right. But the Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. He rejected God's word. And every time he rejected God's word, it, it a little harder, a little harder. Finally, God said that he was going to harden the Pharaoh's heart, that he might be glorified, that God might be glorified, 
he was going to harden his heart and going to settle it. But but the Pharaoh had had nine opportunities to turn from that curse, and did not. And the land of Egypt wouldn't have suffered losing their armies, losing you know all the cattle and things like this, their firstborn children, all that. See, all that didn't have to be, except the Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then God said He was going to settle it by hardening the Pharaoh's heart, and being under the curse and everything. That was the way of the Old Testament. Now we don't have curses like that today. So you can't imagine what a curse of God is, and uh, we're not talking about generational curses here. I know people teach about generational curses all across our country and everything like that. We don't have them today. Um, I've, I've heard of people selling packages for $40 and $100, things like this, to get delivered from generational curses. I can give you a real simple, quick, free way to get rid of your generational curses. Read Ezekiel 18. Generational curses do not exist anymore. Ezekiel 18 says that they were done away with. It says now from then on, or even before that, but uh, Ezekiel 18 was to explain to the people, hey, there's no such thing as generational curse anymore. Everybody's got to stand for their own sins. doesn't matter you know, what the father does. The children have to answer for their sins. The father has to answer his sins. Read Ezekiel 18. It won't cost you anything to get rid of generational curses. Now, you do need to get forgiveness for your parents, grandparents. My dad was an alcoholic, and we lived in, oh, not... It was just really poor in the flatlands of Missouri out there during World War II. Um, I remember one month we only had coffee and biscuits to eat. We were so poor and everything. Dad finally helped somebody slaughter a hog, and we got some meat to eat. That tastes so good. But anyway, I, you know, if, if I help, you know, um, unforgiveness to him for the way he was being alcoholic, spending all the money and everything on alcohol and everything like that, see, that's not a generational curse to me. But it did affect my life. It affected the, you know, the, my future and things like that and everything. But yet that wasn't a curse from God. See, a generational curse was a curse from God. Now, it certainly influenced my life a lot. And um, things passed down from generation to generation. Like Abraham lied about his wife and said, she's my sister. She was a half-sister. But then um, he did that twice. Well, Jacob and everything cheated and you know, finangled in his life. So these uh, weaknesses of parent can be passed down through generations, but that is not a generational curse from God. God was working in my life to get me out of that situation I was in with an alcoholic father, and he got me and my sister then into a, a Baptist children's home in Memphis, Tennessee. The first day it opened, the first Sunday in 1950, we were two of the first seven children to sign up and that that day had opened the door and God got us in there that quick to get us out of that situation. See, I, I wasn't under no curse from God. There is no such thing as a generational curse today. So what we're talking about here, when God spoke to Abraham though, he said, I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. The Pharaohs that were cursing God's children there and the Pharaoh that he hardened to Pharaoh's heart was under God's curse in the first place, but God still in his mercy gave him nine opportunities to not be wiped out by that final curse of hardening his heart. See, so uh, you got to look at the scriptures. you got to put them all together like that and everything. Now, we're going to talk about Paul's, the Apostle Paul's election in Romans chapter 9 uh, where he tells and uses Malachi chapter 1 and quotes it in there. 
and we know now that Malachi chapter 1, God did not say he hated Esau. He was quoting back to them a lie. Now, since God did not say he hated Esau or, um, or he didn't hate Esau, the question about Apostle Paul's election teaching must be addressed because the Apostle Paul quotes Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, which appears to say that God hated Esau in his teaching in Romans 9, 10 to 14 about election. Now, this is where the election starts. And uh, as far as I can find, only the Apostle Paul and uh, Peter talk about election. Predestination is maybe made some other place. But now, Calvinists use Apostle Paul's teaching as the foundation for their belief that God elects prior to birth everyone who is to be saved and rejects the others to hell without any possibility of the final outcome being changed in their in their lifetime. So when, before we start this, right now, I'm going to take another short break. I'll be right back and we'll finish up this. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back. Now we're going to discuss the Apostle Paul's uh, discussion of Romans chapter 9, verses 10 to 14 of election, where he quotes from Malachi in it. Apostle Paul states in Romans chapter 9, verse 10 to 14, And not only this, 
But when Rebekah had also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, remember, God spoke to her before they were born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Now remember this little phrase here about purpose of God, okay? Because that would be one of those where you need to turn to your neighbor and say purpose of God and everything so that you remember it. But now, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Now here's where you got to mix a bunch of scriptures here to see what this is saying. First, the purpose of God. What was the purpose of God in telling um, Rebecca about her sons? Remember when we went through that earlier in the message, I pointed out in every case when God mentioned the children, he mentioned that the sons, you know, they had different characteristics. He mentioned that, you know, they were going to be two nations, two different type nations. But see, he didn't say anything in there about salvation or his relationship to the children being different or anything. See, all he talked about when he told uh, Rebecca, the mother, about the two boys, the two, you know, twins, the, the twins that was in her womb, it was just how they were going to serve him and that one was going to serve the other. See, all he talked about was service. He didn't mention anything there about salvation or anything. So when we see the purpose of God here, it's easy to make a message out of the purpose of God is, you know, salvation, this and this. But that's not what this is talking about. The purpose of God here is according to election is service. Now, you don't see that from right here, but you will in just a minute, I think. It goes on down then. It says, as is written, Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. What should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? What is Paul saying here? Apostle Paul was one of the wisest and smartest people in Old Testament scriptures. He was a young, fast burner, moving up, you know, Sanhedrin and everything. In fact, uh, they were so pleased with him because before he became a Christian, his name was Saul. And um, he had letters from the Sanhedrin going around the country, you know, killing Christians and imprisoning them like this because they were considered to be a cult. He was one of their fair-haired uh, fast burners, you know, that's going to really be a great man in the Sanhedrin someday and everything, a leader probably. He knew the Old Testament. But he says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? See, people have been saying that there was predestination and things like this. He says unrighteousness. What he's meaning here is, does God, you know, respect people? Does God have respect of persons? Now, see, just because he picks a uh, you for a different service than me, that's not the respect talking about. Does God respect, you know, and, and love me more than he loves you or loves you more than he loves me or something like this? No, because, see, God is total, perfect love. He is the only love. He has 100% love for all of us. He has no respect like that. But he does pick different people for different assignments of service. Now, listen to this in the... Second Chronicles 19.7, it says, God does not respect people. Romans chapter 2, verse 10, 11, God does not respect people. He respects faith, their acceptance and obedience to his word. Uh, Colossians 3.25 and 1 Peter 1.17. Um, you know, God respects the people accepting 
in obeying his word. James 2.9, in fact, says respect of persons is sin. So that's what Paul's talking about like here. Is God unrighteous? Does he have respect for one or the other? No. Not as a person. He's just picking one to be his bloodline, Jacob to be his bloodline down through. And, and that's Jacob's service is to be the leader, you know, uh, of his children of Israel, to be in the leadership of his children of Israel. But see, you can see from the way God blessed Esau that that didn't have anything to do with, you know, their relationship to him spiritually. You know, he had a relationship with Esau, fought the giants and everything with Esau and helped him establish his homeland, Mount Seir, and the same with Jacob and everything. Uh, God does not respond to people because they're a king or something, uh, like Asa was a good king and Second Chronicles 14 through 16. He was a good king when he was young, but he refused to humble himself later, and he died of a foot disease, and he chased all around the country to every doctor. And he, it says in there specifically in Second Chronicles 16, but he would not seek the Lord. So he wouldn't repent and seek the Lord. King Hezekiah, God told him in Second Kings 20, said, set your house in order, you're going to die. But then Hezekiah turned to the Lord and prayed and talked to him and he said God sent Isaiah the prophet back and said um, tell him I'm going to heal him and give him 15 more years see God's special callings regardless of what they are for people of the Old Testament for us too all have to be fulfilled by faith when um, God picked the best person to be the first king of Israel Saul well it wasn't long before Saul started disobeying God and God said it, you know, it just repented him that he accepted, you know, and, and chose Saul to be king because Saul wasn't obeying him. And God wants us to obey his word because he and his word are the same. When he manifests a message in our mind, we say God sent us a message or spoke to us. But it's God himself, his spirit, manifesting a message in us. And if we reject that message, we're rejecting him. We're respecting God, the living word. And like uh, Samuel told uh, old King Saul when he was rejecting, he said, God does not respect sincerity, your work, your money, your sacrifice, only obedience. And one of the disobediences was that he offered sacrifices to God, and he wasn't supposed to. And, and see, so God didn't appreciate those sacrifices. And uh, this is going to happen in Matthew 7, 21, 23, where, God, where Jesus is going to speak to people and say, uh, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. See, good people who are working to try to make themselves, you know, uh, satisfied with God or God pleased with them or something like that. See, God doesn't please, uh, God doesn't get pleased or be pleased with your dedication if it's to the wrong thing. If, if you're just so dedicated to a false belief, that's not going to please God one bit. You may be so sweet and so humble and everything, but false beliefs like this of, that God hated Esau, see, that doesn't please God for people to believe that. Not one bit. I don't care how dedicated you are, how many years you've preached, how many years you've done that, see? Uh, that doesn't earn you anything with the Lord. But it's acceptance to faith of God's work. Now, Apostle Paul was one of the most educated men, and he knew God wouldn't be sent here. He said, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? No, God does not have 
you have respect of persons, and he does not want us to have respect of persons. God respects faith. In Romans ten seventeen, where it says, So then faith comes by hearing, hearing more to God, but only if we accept and obey, like in Psalms 119, 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, by taking heed thereto according to God's word. God didn't hate Esau. He just called uh, Jacob to a service, a different service. Now, let's look at some of the scriptures about election and election and uh, predestination uh, and the purpose of God. The Apostle Paul was explaining about a special calling or election to service instead of salvation in Romans chapter 9. The special calling or election to their service was decided prior to Jacob and Esau being born. When God spoke to Rebekah in Genesis 24, 23, God told her two nations in your womb, two manner of people. Now, the, the purpose of God in this condition was who was going to be his leader. Who was the bloodline going to pass through? He could have had the bloodline pass through both of them. You know, like after Jacob, God split up the bloodline through 12 paths. But uh, he didn't choose to do it that way. <coughs> Excuse me. So when Paul says, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any service, um, any good or evil, the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but him called. Election could not have been referring to salvation because no one's salvation stands on works anyway. Paul is saying they were selected for service without any work being available. Now look what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1.10. Make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you shall never fail. Now, if election meant predestination to salvation, determined prior to birth, there would be no reason for Peter to include election in this verse. Make your calling and election sure. See, it wouldn't matter whether you made it sure or not. It would be fixed. You wouldn't have anything to do with making it sure. It'd be impossible for an elected person to fail and change your predestined outcome. So there would be no reason for Peter to say, make your calling and election sure. But see, now, since it has to do with service, there is a reason to. Look at 2 Timothy 2, chapter 10. Excuse me, chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here the Apostle Paul is saying, that he wants the elect to obtain salvation. Elect here does not mean elected or predestined to salvation, for their salvation would have already been predetermined, and Paul would have known that he didn't have to be concerned about them obtaining it. Paul is saying here he endures all things for God's chosen elect people of Jews, that they might also, with their election to service and everything, receive salvation through Christ Jesus. Okay, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, Even him whose coming is after the work of Satan, all power and signs and wonders, and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. This is why people perish, because they don't receive the love of God's word. Jesus says, My, spirits are, my words are spirit and their life, see, without receiving the love of the spirit of the words. Now, they were faced with the truth in their head, and they know it, were without excuse, and they reject the truth and do not receive the love of it. Okay, Paul also says in Romans 1, 19, 20, that we're all without excuse, that the things of God, 
which is known of God has manifested them, and God's shown it to them. The invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, so we're all without excuse. Ezekiel 33:11. Say unto them, As I live, saith God, I have no pleasure in death of wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye, O house of Israel, why do you die? Okay. His desire is for wicked to turn and live. Now, if we look at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, it mentions his continual sorrow in his heart for his kinsmen. If Paul believed election had to do with salvation, it would be useless for him to be concerned about the you know, continual sorrow about the election to salvation of his kinsmen, since there would be nothing he could do about it. You know, it couldn't be changed or anything. Paul could say like me and other Calvinists today, if you get saved, come join me. But see, he was continually in sorrow for his kinsmen, the elect Jews. Now, look at First Timothy one. Excuse me, First Timothy five twenty one. There's other verses that show that election is not referring to salvation, and you could argue back and forth and say, well, you know, it's talking about this, talking about that. But this verse here, First Timothy five twenty one, is another one like what Jesus says in Matthew twenty five forty one. It is clear that election is not referring to salvation. 1 Timothy 5.21 I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before the other, doing nothing but partiality. Angels have nothing to do with teaching, preaching, receiving personal salvation. Angels were used by God throughout the Bible to carry special callings of service I mean, two special callings of service, but they never receive salvation. They don't teach it. Even in Acts chapter 10, God sent an angel to Cornelius, a very good man, in a, a vision, sent an angel and said, Go call for Simon, a tanner. Go call for Simon, and he'll come tell you what you need to do. God gave Peter, Simon Peter, three visions to go speak to Cornelius, a Gentile, and tell him what he needed to do to be saved. He was such a good person, but he needed salvation. He was missing Christ. And if you look at the message that Peter spoke to Cornelius in, in um, Acts chapter 10, it was telling him about Jesus. See, the angel didn't tell him about Jesus, though, and all this. See, listen to that verse again, First Timothy 5.21. I charge thee before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels. Angels are only elected to go serve God, carry messages to protect his children. They're ministering, you know, comforting and things like this. But they are not associated with salvation. Now, the Apostle Paul, with all of his training in languages and Old Testament scriptures, would never have been so careless as to use the word elect to refer to angels if election had anything to do with salvation. And if it did, that would mean some of the angels are... Um, elected to salvation, some saved, some aren't. See, it's, 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 it's crazy. Apostle Paul would never say elect angels if it had to do with salvation. And as a final authority that God never predestined elected people, Jesus, when he was, you know, uh, telling the story of the sheep and the goats and separating the joke, goats at the final judgment, Matthew 25, 41, says, Then shall he, the king, say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus says here that hell or everlasting fire was not prepared for one person or one woman 
only the devil and his angels. God loves everyone. People go to hell because they, of their free will choice, reject the love of the truth. The Second Thessalonians 2, 10, 11, Paul says, they go because they reject the love of the truth when God brings them the truth, which is Christ, the living word. God never said he hated Esau. The purpose of God in Romans 9, 11 is the purpose of God was for Jacob and Esau's service to him. The choice of Jacob was to serve, not to be saved or salvation or anything. It was to be served. His bloodline down through Jacob. Election is to service, not salvation. Angels are never elected to salvation. So election is to service. In Matthew 25:41, none has ever been predestined to heaven or hell. So that clears up the question about Calvinism. It's a complete, total lie when it talks about people are predestined to heaven or hell. It is untruth. Now, if the 20-something million Calvinists in our country that believe that would love the Lord like Apostle Paul did, when, when Jesus stopped him and said, it's me you're persecuting, first thing Paul said to him back was, what would you have me do? Calvinists should be saying that today if you're listening to this message. Lord, what should you have me do? You need to start teaching and preaching that God loves everybody and that God wants everybody to be saved. And if you haven't received the Spirit of Christ in your heart today, if you haven't received Him, I want you to be considering just to come to Him and turn your life to Him now and, and call out to Him for salvation because God loves everybody. God loves regardless of who you are today, what you've done. God loves you with a perfect love as much as he loved Jesus, as much as he loves me, as much as he loves anybody else. And he wants you to turn from sin and receive him into your heart. And it's that simple. See, we're born to the baby with a heart that does not have the Spirit of God in it. And that's called total sin, total separation of the heart from God. All you have to do is just make the choice. Know you're a sinner. And some of you may be listening like that, might be concerned about if you've ever done that before. But have you ever seen yourself then as, as a heart full of, you know, desires for money and desires for relationships and fancy cars? And, and you know, instead of wanting to help people, normally you do things to them just so you can get a favor back. You know, you're using them for maybe your, uh, something in the future or something like that you want. Or activities, you know, like that. Do you just really love talking about the Lord and you want, you want other people to know about what God has done for you and everything? Uh, what is your heart filled with everything, your desires? When Christ comes into your heart, Ezekiel 36, 26, God said under the new covenant, speaking through the prophet, says, a new heart also I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. You won't be wanting to take advantage of people and like this and, you know, just get them, do favors back and forth with them so that they'll owe you one or something like this or, or you know, these fancy cars to show off and have such pride and everything you drive them around or fancy houses and all this stuff. See, the, think of what's in your heart and, and how you look at things like that. These relationships, you know, like that, God will clear up. He, well, like Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit, a spirit of love, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, 
I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit. And his spirit is he's love. I'll put my spirit in you. And that's what we mean by becoming a child of God. Because when he creates in us a new heart, it erases all that, you know, uh, stuff in our heart, you know, the uncleanliness, you know, and just evil desires and things like this. Uh, from our heart, we start out in the family of God with a clean new heart that he's created for us. It's, it's pure heart. And then with his spirit of love in us, you will see the difference. See, the reason I went through all that is because you will know how your heart was before. And then when he comes in and creates a new heart, cleans, you know, the new pure heart, and puts his spirit of love in you, where before you've had hate and bitterness and, you know, things like this, you know, uh, uh, trying to, you know, get the best of his people, you know, be all the winner all the time and stuff like this. When all these earthly, fleshly desires are taken out and his spirit of love are put in you, you'll know the difference. Now, if you're listening, you, you may have done this when you were 8, 9, 10, 12 years old, something like that, and, and you may not have had that much evil stuff in your heart. But make sure that you actually did receive the changed heart. Because, you know, just being a good person and going through life, living a good life, is not going to be accounted to you when you stand before Jesus. You know, that's in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, Many are going to say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we done, not done these great, wonderful works? We've cast out demons. We've, you know, uh, done all kind of special things in your name. But see, what it was, they weren't doing those things. They were maybe speaking God's word, and then God was backing up his word to people. But see, it was just, they were like being used just an empty vessel. And I was 20-something years in church like that. I was 20-something years thinking I was a Christian, knew a lot of God's word. I had it in me, and I spoke to a lot of people and shared God's word with people. And it didn't do anything for me and my standing with the Lord, because it was not from my heart. It was just from the head knowledge of what I'd sat in church and heard over and over and over so long like this. It certainly wasn't because I was reading the scripture studying, because maybe read a verse a week so I could say I read my Bible this week. So it wasn't coming from that. But it was just from the over and over, sitting and hearing and hearing out of that children's home where we had to be in church every you know, time the door was open for 10 years. Well, it did account to me, though, that... <laughs> When I had my problems finally came and I saw myself as a sinner and I called out to God, at least I knew from all those scriptures I'd heard through the years that I'd better give him a chance and I'd better make sure. I said, Lord, if you're really real, like that Bible says, come into my heart, save me, forgive me my sins. And I thought that night I was kind of rededicating my life to the Lord, but I found out I'd never before dedicated my life to the Lord. I had never asked God to forgive me of my sins when I was nine years old. I just, you know, answered the preacher's questions. I love the Lord and won't get saved and get baptized. But it's got to be a personal relationship between us and God. And it's for everybody. God wants everybody to be saved, and he always has. Isaiah 43, 21, which I mentioned earlier, but I gave the wrong verse. Isaiah 43, 21. This people have I formed myself. They shall show forth my praise. See, he's created us, you know, to fellowship with him and to praise him and be in that. And, and even in the Old Testament, when God and Solomon were dedicating the new temple in uh, 1 Kings 8, 41, it says, Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people, Israel, 
that cometh out of a far country from thy namesake. Do according to the stranger's call, his prayer, that all people on earth may know thy name and fear thee. See, even in Old Testament, um, God's people, the Jews, were supposed to have been, you know, an outreach to those around the world, his uh, testimony to them. Like Psalm 67, where David says, God be merciful and bless us and cause your way to your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving health among all the nations. See, uh, and we today as Christians are his ambassadors. We're supposed to be letting his love, you know, uh, flow through us to others that they might come to know. But God wants everybody to. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, it says, God who would have all men to be saved and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. See, he doesn't love some and hate some. There's no such thing as predestination like that. He wants all men to it. First John three twenty three, it says, And this is his commandment, that we believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. See, he commands everybody to believe on him and love him. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Ezekiel 33.11, For the Old Testament people and us too, it says, Say unto them as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil ways and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Why shall you die, O house of Israel? And that extends to everyone. Why should you die when there's such a great salvation? provided by Jesus. And God says he'll put his spirit in us, he'll give us a new heart, and we're adopted in the family of God, like uh, Galatians 4, 6 says, and because your sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore you no more a servant but a son, if a son, then heir of God through Christ. See, that's what happens to us. We're changed in. We're not just, you know, cleaned up and, um, starting to you know go to church carry a bible something like this god cleans us up inside and gives us a new heart takes all that stuff out of our heart the hurts and things that people have done to us takes all that out and puts his spirit in us and he just comes from a simple prayer because he wants us to well it says in romans that uh, we're to call out to jesus in Acts 2.36, says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God, that you, you know, crucified, that same Jesus whom you crucified, has lifted him up and exalted him to both Lord and Christ. So we call out to Jesus. No other name under heaven and earth given to us who might be saved. So when we call out to him then, Romans 10.13, our salvation is when he responds to us. So we call out and say, Lord, please forgive me. Please come into my heart and save me. I commit my life to you. Like if you'd like to pray right now with me, Jesus, I ask you to please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I surrender my heart and life to you. And I invite your spirit, Christ, to create in me a new clean heart and live in my heart. In your name, Jesus, I ask. Amen. A simple prayer, but you can just cry out help from the heart because it's when the heart turns to God, the veil of separation is lifted between our hearts and God's love, and he will come right in. He wants to. We have a new heart from God and the spirit of Christ, God's power in us. God is love, and his spirit is in our hearts. 
in John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love, God, casts out fear, because fear is torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love or God yet. So in James 4, 7, the scripture says, Submit therefore to God, for his spirit in you, resist the devil, fear, and he, the devil in fear, will flee from you. When you start getting apprehensive about something, like starting to fly or a storm coming, looking ahead at what might happen to you and your job, your health, don't just worry and think about these future events or maybe something that you're even going through right now. Philippians 4, 6 says, when you start getting anxious, turn to God then by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God, your request and your concern to be known to God. Worrying won't help you one bit, but it will cause you to miss God's blessings to you during that time. So choose, make the choice yourself to set yourself in submission to God in prayer, talking to God, and counting your blessings from past things, experiences with God. Then watch the devil and fear flee from you. Now, always let your anxiety be a red flag to remind you to pray. God loves you. He will hear you. And in first Colossians one twenty seven, Christ in us, our hope of glory. So have a good day. God bless you. And be set free. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern. And on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern. 
and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network.